on Sunday, one of you asked if I was going to preach about the terrorist attacks in San Bernardino. And I explained to him what I am now explaining to you, that the power of the word is that it transcends all of the daily, weekly, monthly, historical accounts, that it is eternal, and that we preach that word even in the midst of whatever those accounts might be. In fact, I preached on these terrorist attacks after the Paris attacks three weeks ago, or maybe four, and you can refer to that sermon then. The reason that we preach from lectionary texts every week is because they ground us in this eternal word without our being reactive or reflexive to the particular everyday events in history. I'm not implying that a terrorist attack is an everyday event. Certainly a mass murder is in our country, unfortunately. And so today I would like to preach from this word as it is given to us in our second Sunday of Advent. It is a word that comes to us from the gospel according to Luke chapter 3. It is about John the Baptist, someone that we, if we've ever spent time in church in Advent, have probably heard about, and certainly we will hear about again during Jesus' baptism in January. May God open up to us an understanding of this word reading from the translation known as the message, verses 2 through 18. John, Zechariah's son, out in the desert at the time, received a message from God. He went all through the country around the Jordan River, preaching a baptism of life change leading to forgiveness of sins. When crowds of people came out for baptism because it was the popular thing to do, John exploded, brood of snakes, what do you think you're doing slithering down here to the river? Do you think a little water on your snake skins is going to deflect God's judgment? It's your life that must change, not your skin. And don't think you can pull rank by claiming Abraham as father. Being a child of Abraham is neither here nor there. Children of Abraham are a dime a dozen. God can make children from stones if he wants. What counts is your life. Is it green and blossoming? Because if it's dead wood, it goes on the fire. The crowd asked him, then what are we supposed to do? If you have two coats, give one away, he said. Do the same with your food. Taxmen also came to be baptized and said, teacher... What should we do? And he told them, no more extortion. Collect only what is required by law. Soldiers asked him. The Roman soldiers are gathered at the river with all the Jews. Unheard of. Soldiers asked him, and what should we do? And he told them, no shakedowns, no blackmail, and be content with your rations. The interest of the people was now building. They were all beginning to wonder, could this John be the Messiah? But John intervened, I'm baptizing you here in the river, the main character in this drama, to whom I'm a mere stagehand, will ignite the kingdom life 
a fire, the Holy Spirit within you, changing you from the inside out. He's going to clean house, make a clean sweep of your lives. He'll place everything true in its proper place before God and everything false he'll put out with the trash to be burned. I love this part. This is what the message says, and if you read your NRSVP, it says the same. It ends, this passage ends with these words. There was a lot more of this, words that gave strength to the people, words that put heart in them. It was the good news. Thanks be to God. This is the word of the Lord. After lighting the candle last week, our candle of hope, I was so full of it that I decided that I wanted to head out and get to Christmas as fast as I could, so I started walking down the street. Someone walked up and said, have you heard there's this wild man down by the river doing all kinds of stuff? You ought to go check it out. And so, curious, I decided to see what it was about. I just wanted to get to sweet baby Jesus Christmas. I was looking for, you know, a modicum of sentiment, uh, some gift giving, a nice meal, as little stress as possible, and certainly no more terrorist attacks. I didn't want months. I just wanted Christmas. Well, so did everyone else, apparently. Because as I got on the road, I ran into folks from Riverside and Avondale and Ortega and Ortega Forest and all the city in this particular neck of the woods heading down the road too, and they were saying the same thing. We're looking for Christmas. We're looking for love and peace and some joy at Christmas. Come join us. And since most of these folks from Riverside and Avondale and Ortega were leaders in the community and always seemed to know where they were going, I decided I should probably follow them. And as we drew closer to the river, we looked down the road and saw that there was this huge crowd, a convergence of uh, a congregation of people uh, covering everywhere. And it, it occurred to me that, you know what, we'll never get to the river with all those people there. So I decided to take a detour and took a road, uh, one road over to another road heading in the same direction and found myself walking with a different group of people. This time, there didn't look so much like me. The color of their skin was different. Their way of seeing life was different. Their politics were different. But they said that they were looking for Christmas too, and I was welcome to join them, which I did until we rounded a curve, and then I saw that same crowd blocking the road. And so one more detour, I headed off to another side street, and the next thing I knew, I was in the middle of a parade of law enforcement officers and military folk. They even had a band. So I figured, okay, if I just follow them, then they know how to get us straight to the point, down to the river, getting us past all those people. I'll just tag along. They were looking, it turns out, for the same thing I was, a little peace and joy for Christmas Sure enough, when we got there, they were able to wade through the giant throng and get near the front. And as I looked around, it seemed like everybody from Jacksonville was there, right at the edge of the river, listening to this strange dude dressed up in wild clothes with a 
pink punk hairdo and tattoos all over his skin and, and earrings in his nose and his ears. And he's up proclaiming as loud as he can like a revivalist preacher, you brood of vipers, the children of snakes, you're all on the wrong track going down the road to perdition. It's time to repent. Then he went to the heart of things. He said, for all you people who think you have a pedigree, an ancestry, you think it might be Abraham or it might be Thurston Howell III or Jesse Jackson, give it up. It will not get you to a free pass at Christmas, he said. Your ancestry means nothing more than these stones lying around on the river's edge. Then, he said, that life was about to cut us down to size to purge the dross of sin and evil away from our lives and throw it into the fire because the day of reckoning was on its way. Now, I don't usually listen to this kind of fire and brimstone preaching, skeptical that it is just trying to get us to fall in line or maybe to overreact like some of our presidential candidates, well, one of our presidential candidates for sure. But this guy was different. For some reason, he had our attention. There were even college students there who had been leading the charge against politically incorrect language on campus. You may have read about it. And I admit that some of their complaint made sense. But at least in my mind, it had sort of gotten completely out of hand like the guy from Missouri Wesleyan College, a religious school, who complained to the president of the university that the chapel sermon on 1 Corinthians 13, you know it when we have weddings, love is kind, love is slow to lose anger, love is humble, love is uh, forgiving, and so forth. He complained that that 1 Corinthians 13 sermon on love was inappropriate and abusive because it made him feel guilty and ashamed for not living up to the passage's definition of what love is. The president suggested that he may want to try another school. After all, this was a religious organization where confession is part of who we are. For some reason, this guy too was listening to this crazy dude up there preaching, telling us that the way we live our lives is about to be cut down like straw and thrown into the fire, and he didn't seem to be abused or feel like that language was incorrect at all because something new had taken over. Strange thing is that all of us from every race or station in life or political party or religious affiliation would be taking it too because he was telling us the truth. Well, maybe not all. Somehow, those of us gathered there knew on this intuitive level that he was right, that he knew us like a book and that we were, we were standing there hearing something that we needed to hear, like tough love that calls us out, calls us to stop doing what we are doing and account for ourselves and makes us live with the consequences of our actions without bailing us out. The kind of tough love we must all experience if we are ever going to grow up. We were all there 
looking for Christmas, but instead we got this wild man at the river. Sorry, Elvis, this hunk, a hunk of burning love who loved us enough to call us out. What are we supposed to do, someone from the Riverside, Avondale, Ortega, Ortega Forest crowd asked. If you have more than you need, he said, two coats, say, or plenty of food and plenty of stuff, then just keep what you need and give the rest to Desk or Soulsbacher or the Salvation Army. Someone in the group from the pharmaceutical, hospital, and health insurance companies yelled, what about us? And he said, stop gorging with extra charges and unfair cost. Collect only what is fair, he scolded. Same thing for the lawyers, the brokers, the businessmen. What about us? Same thing, he said. The policemen and military stepped up. What about us? There were a few boos. But some people in the crowd, uh, again, felt like they should be there, as did John the Baptist. And this wild man on the ladder preaching his words of hellfire and damnation, thought that they should hear especially two things. And he told them to stop using their power to harm people if there was another way, especially young men of color who were unarmed. And he told the rest of us to stop scapegoating these policemen and women because they were mostly doing their best. Politicians were next, and I stepped back, waiting for this. You, he said, stop polarizing every single issue, making it political, trying to use fear to motivate people. Tell the truth about climate change, the gun lobby, the influence of unions and Hollywood, and where your money comes from. Serve the people, not have the people serve you. I smirked. He looked around and shouted, you came looking for Jesus this Christmas, then repent. Start getting baptized and washed clean of all your old stuff. And for a new start, you will be made well. Then you can turn around, which is what repent means, and go back from where you came, a brand new person. Then you will find what you've been looking for. The first one to jump in the river was a man named Bob Beckel. I had just read about him, and so I knew his story. He was Walter Mundale's campaign manager in that 49-state loss. He was a trusted fixer at the State Department and the White House and a progressive television announcer. Through most of this, he was also an alcoholic, a drug abuser, and a womanizer who kept hitting rock bottom only to find that the bottom kept shifting downward. He told this whole story by saying that he learned his survival skills from dealing with an alcoholic and abusive father. I learned how to wear a mask, he said, at all times and reveal my true feelings to no one. Later on, this led to a bifurcated life. Mornings at the White House, evenings in the bar, and then the brothel. A ferocious political ambition and a tendency toward self-destruction. Beckel had been in and out of Alcoholics Anonymous for years, trying to recover, but without buying into the first law, that is, surrendering and giving yourself up to a higher power. 
When George W. Bush prevailed in the election crisis of 2000, Beckel, by his own account, began losing contact with reality. On the eve of the inauguration, he found himself in a bar with a woman, then with her jealous husband, pointing a 45 automatic at his head. And when he pulled the trigger and the bullet didn't go off, Beckel knew that he had received grace. The next day, Beckel watched the inaugural parade from a room at the George Washington Hospital Psychiatric Ward. He confessed that his friends who intervened uh, and his loved ones brought him to a new place. After some brutally self-honest, uh, honest self-examination, looking himself truly in the mirror, something he said decisively changed. At that point, he repented. He gave his life up to God, confessing his need for a higher power. And as he wrote this story much later, he did so sober. This was the Bob Beckel I saw wade into the waters of baptism and repentance. And when he came up out of those waters, tears were coming down his cheeks, mingled with the water from the river. And with a giant smile on his face, he said, John is right. Be baptized and turn back to God. It's the only way to Christmas. At that point, everybody started wading in, all of whom carried this giant knapsack of baggage, of guilt and shame. And, and as I watched them, it was as if those knapsacks just disappeared, just went up in smoke as they were being baptized there, as if they'd just gotten let out of jail, as if everything on their, in their life that had weighed them down had been released. There they were, coming up out of the waters with this incredible smile and laughter on their face, heading out back toward home with a smile and with a dance on their feet, hugging each other. They didn't even dry off. While all this was happening, I was with a group of religious people standing by and watching all of this proudly from a distance as all these secular and sinful people repented and got washed of their sins. I started working on how I should maybe get a couple of tattoos, a few earrings in my ear, maybe a little punk hairdo. It's not too late. Start preaching like John preached, a little more fire and brimstone instead of fuzzy love and so forth. You know, I might get a, I might get a big old group like John did going. It's good for John and it's good for the people who needed it. John looked over at us and did this. You come. We looked at each other like, we're, we're saved. We, we're preachers. We're righteous. We're religious. We don't need this. And John's going. So some of us stumbled over to the water. And, and when I got there, it knocked me to my toes, I looked down into the water, its mirror reflection back at me, and I saw there this haggard face of religiosity and piety that made me feel awful. I saw my reflection looking back at me, and it was awful. 
Love always comes this way, true love, with accountability. You can't get to baby Jesus at Christmas without going through this wild man named John out in the wilderness baptizing us for the forgiveness of sins. Not just once every year, not just every year, every day, not just once a day, maybe often. And the text says, this is the good news, and there is no other. I thank Jan Carr for this. She said, instead of saying amen, why don't you say, thank you very much. <laughs>